We come back to the fourth commandment this morning, and the scripture reading that will form the basis of our explanation of a part of the fourth commandment is first in Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23, verses 33 through 36, and then we'll turn to John chapter 20. Leviticus 23. 33 through 36. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day shall be an holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and ye shall do no servile work therein. Now turn with me to John 20. John 20 is the account of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We're going to read verse 1 and then verses 19 through 28. So this begins on Resurrection Sunday and gives the appearances of the Lord on that Sunday, and then moves to the next Sunday. John 20, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. And now down to verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore saith unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. We read God's Word to that point this morning. On the basis of those passages, we have the 
proof for part of what is explained by the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 38 concerning the fourth commandment. You've given response to this before, but let's do it again. I'll read the question. You respond. Lord's Day 38. What doth God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained, and that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God to hear His Word, to use the sacraments, publicly to call upon the Lord, and contribute to the relief of the poor as becomes a Christian. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord to work by His Holy Spirit in me and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Beloved of God, with one word that you just spoke when you read that response to the question in Lord's Day 38, you have made a massive and very significant confession. The one word is the word Sabbath. Referring to Sunday, you confessed that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the house of God. You called Sunday the Sabbath day. Importantly, by making that confession, you connected the New Testament day of worship, Sunday, back to the command of the fourth commandment. So that when the commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, you said, yes, and I'm doing that when I diligently frequent the church of God on Sunday. That's quite a thing to say. Because it was Saturday that was the Sabbath for the entire Old Testament. The Heidelberg Catechism leads us to confess that when we set apart Sunday as the day of rest, we're keeping the Sabbath day holy. Do you know why that is your confession? And do you make that confession with conviction? It may be that at the time of the Reformation when the Heidelberg Catechism was written, it wasn't all that necessary to explain this. There was no controversy about this, and everybody understood this. Nobody disagreed about this. The Roman Catholic Church agreed with this. The Protestants agreed with this. There was no voice that questioned this at all. In fact, nobody could foresee a time when there would be any question about this. But today there is. That time has come. There's much confusion about the fourth commandment and concerning the truth of the day of the fourth commandment, that Sunday is the day that is the Sabbath day now when the command says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And because of that confusion, 
there's been a lot of disregard of the fourth commandment, even leaving it behind altogether. And that even among Christians who if they'd go back a few generations would have known this and not seen any controversy in this. Recently, the Pew Research Center conducted a poll where they gave professing Christians, it was a poll they only gave to Christians, and they gave them a list of 16 things and said, put a mark by the ones of these 16 things that you think are very important for Christianity. One of those 16 things was keeping the Sabbath day holy. 18% marked it as significant for Christianity. 18%. The same amount who marked exercising as significant for Christianity. And less than the amount of people who marked taking care of the environment as significant for Christian Christianity. This is the day and age in which we live. And some of you, maybe most of you, have connections with people who really struggle with this or question this. And maybe even can not really understand why you keep the Sabbath day holy. And why you look at Sunday as the Sabbath of the fourth commandment. As though the fourth commandment still is a commandment. Young people, maybe some people that you work with or friends or all of us, maybe people that we work with or family members or friends, very confused by this. Maybe some of us are confused by this. For these reasons, I thought it worthwhile to preach another sermon on the fourth commandment and maybe I'll do one or two more yet too. There's other things that I think are confusing to us about this commandment. But this one focused just on this question. Is Sunday the Sabbath? So that we can stand together for the truth of the fourth commandment and so that we can make this confession of Lord's Day 38 with conviction, with knowledge, the conviction of mind and heart. Yes, this is the Sabbath day. And we are going to keep it holy. So let's ask that question, a rhetorical question. Is Sunday the Sabbath? The answer, of course, is yes. But let's see that this was the apostolic faith. Let's see that this is a biblical faith. And let's call ourselves to obedience of faith. Is Sunday the Sabbath? Apostolic faith, biblical faith, and the obedience of faith. If you and I knew absolutely nothing about the reasons for why Sunday is the Sabbath day, if we knew nothing about the theological basis for a Sunday Sabbath, yet if we opened the New Testament and read it carefully, and observed what's going on there with the apostles and the churches of those days, we would have to come to the conclusion that it is crystal clear that the apostles themselves believed that Sunday was the Sabbath day. The fourth commandment was still in effect. It hadn't been removed from the church. And that Sunday was now the Sabbath day. 
Just take a look a moment and observe them in their worship in the New Testament. And you see, for example, in Acts chapter 20, the familiar story of the Apostle Paul preaching in Troas, where he preaches so long that Eutychus falls asleep and he falls out the window and dies and Paul raises him back from the dead. And that story is so exciting that we sometimes skip right over the very first verse of that story in Acts 20 verse 7 where we read, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. The Scriptures are making the point of telling us it was Sunday. It was the first day of the week, the Lord's Day when this took place. And they were holding divine worship services on the first day of the week, on Sunday. And they came together to break bread, that is to celebrate the Lord's Supper and to hear Paul preach to them because this is what they did on the first day of the week, on Sunday. Notice, upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together, this was their pattern, this was their practice. And then you notice too that Paul stopped his journey in order to honor the Sabbath day on Sunday, and to worship with these saints in Troas. Paul was coming back from the third missionary journey here in Acts chapter 20, and he stops his journey purposefully so that he can attend worship services. He can honor honor the Sabbath day and join them there in their worship in Troas. And of course, because he's an apostle, he becomes the preacher on that day. Then you observe in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, The apostle writes his epistle to the Corinthian church and makes clear that the saints there in Corinth and the saints in Galatia were keeping Sunday as the New Testament Sabbath day. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. What Paul is saying is, on the first day of the week, when you gather for your worship services, and when you take collections as part of your worship services, take collections for the church in Jerusalem. So that when I get there, I don't have to go knocking on doors asking people to donate money because the church of Jerusalem is in crisis, they have an economic downturn, and there's a famine. Use the regular collections on the first day of the week when you worship. And what makes this passage so powerful is he's not telling them to come together on the first day of the week. He's assuming that they do when you come together on the first day of the week. And when you have your worship services, and when you, part of which is taking collections every Sunday as part of your worship. It's so widespread, it's so common knowledge. This was the practice. On Sunday, the first day of the week, they held their worship services. And then you see in Revelation 1, verse 10, the Apostle John, as he records his vision of the exalted Christ, he begins it this way. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. He calls Sunday the Lord's Day, 
They already had a name for the Sunday Sabbath. The Lord's Day. The day of the Lord. The day that He rose from the dead. In fact, they already had three different names for the Sunday Sabbath, as we'll see. They called it the first day, they called it the Lord's Day, and they called it the eighth day. But again here, notice that John does not have to explain himself. His epistle gets sent out through all of Christianity. He doesn't have to explain what he means by the Lord's Day. I was in this, everybody called it the Lord's Day. They all knew what he was talking about. It's Sunday. And even though he was on an island by himself, he was still keeping the Sabbath day in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. The practice of the church in the New Testament already was to worship, hold services on Sunday as the Christian Sabbath. Since that's true, you might think to yourself, well, I wonder after the end of the New Testament, which is about 93 A.D., I wonder if the church after that recognized that and kept worshiping on Sunday. And the answer is yes, they did. A Roman historian, now this is an unbeliever, writing a history book, but because there's Christians in the Roman Empire, he has a little section on Christians. Writing just after the death of the last apostle, that's the apostle John, he wrote a description of the worship of the Christians. And in that description, he explicitly says, the Christians all gather for worship on the first day of the week, Sunday. One of the early church fathers, writing just a few years later, wrote this, quote, on the day which is called Sunday, all the Christians who live in the cities or the countryside gather together in one place for worship, end quote. And the same writer later explains that they do this because Jesus rose from the dead on this day. The first church history book that the church ever wrote calls Sunday the New Testament Sabbath day of the fourth commandment. Quote, the word, that is the Logos, Jesus Christ, has exchanged and transferred the feast of the Sabbath to the Lord's day. End quote. One more church father, writing about 200 A.D., referred to Sunday as the Christian Sabbath day. Quote, leaving the Jewish observance of the Sabbath, let us see how the Sabbath ought to be observed by a Christian. On the Sabbath day, which is Sunday, all worldly pleasures ought to be abstained from. If, therefore, you cease from secular work and execute nothing worldly and give yourself up to spiritual exercises, coming to the church, attending to sacred reading and instruction, this is the observance of the Christian Sabbath. End quote. So is this belief, and so is this practice, ingrained among all Christians, that when the Roman Emperor Constantine came to the foreground and said that he converted to Christianity, whether he really did or not is debatable, but said that he converted to Christianity, he made a decree that said throughout the entire Roman Empire, Sunday will be the day of worship, because that's when the Christians worship. Young people, if you look sideways and around you, you might feel a little bit weird. 
for keeping the Sabbath day holy. But if you look behind you and go backwards, you could see this has been done all the way into the New Testament, the apostles, and the early church, and on down to you, and you don't feel so weird anymore. The Sunday Sabbath day, beloved, it's not something that PR people invented. It's not something that Dutch people invented or even Reformed people invented. It's not a relic of a, of a leave-it-to-beaver culture that just, it just doesn't apply anymore in our modern age. It was the belief of the apostles themselves and of the early church and of the church after them. And so if it feels weird and out of place now, view yourself in light of the history of the church and you'll have more confidence in your belief and practice. The question now is why? Why was this the practice of the apostles and of the church already in the New Testament? And why did this continue in the early church with such conviction and through the Reformation and down to today? Well, first of all, you can say negatively that it wasn't something that the apostles themselves just thought of, that they decided to change the day from Saturday to Sunday. They would have never dared to do that. And they didn't. Second, we can say negatively, it wasn't something that just sort of happened. Like traditions just sort of develop and everybody kind of gets used to it and so that's just the way it is. And there really is no basis for it. There's no theological reason for it. It just kind of happened. When I was young, our family had the practice of eating pancakes on Saturday night for supper, always. There was no basis for it. There's no reason for it. It just happened once, and we all liked it, and so we kept doing it. It became a tradition. It became a practice. This is not that. It didn't just sort of kind of happen. But it happened because of great theological reasons. It happened because Jesus Christ Himself the King of kings and Lord of lords, changed the day of the fourth commandment from Saturday to Sunday. And He taught His apostles that He did this. So they themselves practiced this right away after His resurrection from the dead. Christ is the only one who has the authority to do this. Christ is the King. He is the head of the church. He is the faithful and the true witness. He is the only one with the right to change the day of the fourth commandment from Saturday to Sunday, and he did. Having risen from the dead on the first day of the week on Sunday, he established the New Testament Sabbath day on that day. In his resurrection, he gained for his people the rest that they are to find on this day. In his resurrection, he began in principle, what is going to come to fruition at the end, all things made new, the entire creation being reborn, all of God's people finding the end 
of their regeneration being perfect, glorified finally. All this began in that moment when he rose from the dead. In principle, it was accomplished there. It was a new age. All things were made new when he came out of the grave. This is so significant. The resurrection of Christ is so significant that it would be wrong from that day forward not to have that day as the Sabbath day. In the Old Testament, they were constantly looking forward to this. The cross and resurrection of Christ. And so the Sabbath day had to be at the end of the week because they're always looking forward to it. It's coming. It's coming. But now that it's come, now that it's been accomplished, it's not at the end of the week anymore as though it's something we're looking ahead to, but it's at the beginning of the week we're living out of it. Our life flows forth out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that that means. As someone put it once, Christ took the Old Testament Sabbath into the grave with Him on Saturday. And He rose with the New Testament Sabbath in His hands on Sunday. And the church has always recognized this. And has always recognized that Jesus Himself communicated this to His church to His apostles, and to everyone after. First, by rising from the dead on Sunday, and then by appearing to His church only on Sunday. Did you ever notice that? The resurrection appearances that are recorded in the Bible only take place on Sunday. Sunday, and then nothing. They don't see him, they don't hear from him. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then Sunday again he appears. We read that in John 20. First in verse 1, where the apostle points out that this is happening on the first day. He knows the significance of this. And so he points it out. On the first day of the week, cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark to the sepulcher. And you know the history of Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene and appearing to the women there on Sunday. And you know in verse 19 that he appeared to them again that same Sunday night. John 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening... And now, from that, you already know that it's Sunday. It's the same day, only at evening. But John makes a point of it, to repeat it. Being the first day of the week. Are you following him? He wants to communicate this. When the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And then, you keep going. And in verse 26, we read this. And after eight days, again his disciples within and Thomas with them, then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst. He appeared to them, resurrection morning and evening, and then eight days later he appeared to them again. And now we count days like this. If it's Sunday, 
we say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so that the next Sunday would be the seventh day. But they counted days like this. If it's Sunday, then Sunday is day one. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so when John says, after eight days, he appeared to them again, it's the next Sunday. The church historian Philip Schaff says this about these appearances. This is the beginning of the history of the Lord's Day. Sunday is here pointed out by our Lord Himself and honored by His special presence in His appearances as the day of religion and public worship. And so it will remain until He comes again. End quote. He came to them on Sunday to point out that He was going to continue to meet with them on Sunday, on Sunday, where two or three are gathered on the Lord's Day in worship, I will be with them. He set the pattern for them. And He taught them, this is how it goes from this day forward. And they understood. And that's why it was their practice. From that day on. Sunday, is the Sabbath. And Sunday is the Sabbath. The fourth commandment does not fall away, beloved. It is not the case that there are now nine commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is still in effect. The day has changed. It's not Saturday any longer, but it's Sunday. But Sunday is still the Sabbath day of the fourth commandment. That means that for the New Testament age, this is not just a tradition. This is not something that's optional. This is not something where you say, well, I can keep it or not keep it. There's not nine commandments in one suggestion now. But this is still the law of Jehovah God, one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And that was in the Sermon on the Mount where he's explaining the Ten Commandments. I came to fulfill this, to fill it up with obedience, not to destroy it so that it falls away. This is still a, a creation ordinance that there is a Sabbath day In six days the Lord made heaven and earth. On the seventh He rested. And He called it the Sabbath. And even though it's not the seventh anymore, it's still the Sabbath. Would you teach your children that the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, is kind of optional. Yeah, probably, probably you shouldn't commit adultery, but if you do sometimes, just the way it is, or what about the sixth commandment? Thou shalt not steal. It's kind of there. It's kind of a tradition that the church has held on to over the ages. But it's not a commandment of God. You, you shouldn't probably steal. But if you do sometimes, it's not. Then don't teach them that with regard to the fourth commandment either. It's still a commandment. It's still the Sabbath. It's still remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And it's part of his law. And his law is love for us. He doesn't give this law out of anger towards us because he just wants to restrict us. He gives it because it's good for us, because we need this. Living this way is the right way to live. 
It's a gift to us. It comes from a good Father, the Father of all mercies. This is the, the family day where the family comes together to meet with their Father. The Father speaks to them and they respond to Him. They're rejuvenated spiritually. So in this day, we cease from our normal work and our regular entertainments and we enter into the rest that God has reserved for us in Jesus Christ for this day. Don't you need that? Don't your children need that? Doesn't all of Christianity need this? Beloved, we live in a day and in a culture where there is a a tide of secularism that's flowing like a wave over this entire nation. What is going to hold that back for you and for your generations after you? In large part, it's going to be this, that this is a command of God. And therefore, we honor this day and we come and we hear His Word proclaimed and we're strengthened spiritually to resist that tide of secularism that's flowing over the culture. This is the finger in the dike, as the Dutch used to say, that that prevents the whole sea from flooding over us. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. They understood that Jesus himself was setting the day as resurrection day, Sunday as the Sabbath. That he taught them that. That he was communicating that to them and that he was doing it as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. I said at the beginning that the apostolic church and the early church had three names for the Sunday Sabbath. They referred to it as the first day. We saw that in John 20. They referred to it as the Lord's day. We saw that in Revelation 1 verse 10. And now the third thing they called it was the eighth day. We see that in John 20 verse 19. As John points out that this is all a fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles in the Old Testament. That small portion of Leviticus 23 that we read this morning was about the Feast of Tabernacles. Interesting thing about the Feast of Tabernacles, it began on Sunday and it ended on Sunday. Leviticus 23, verse 35, On the first day, Sunday, shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. Sunday was to be a Sabbath. No work on that day. Only worship. And then, verse 36, seven days, seven days he shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And then, verse 36, on the eighth day, the next Sunday, shall be again a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. There was a Sunday, Sabbath first, then seven days, where they had other things they had to do, and then a Sunday, Sabbath on the eighth day. if you go back to John 20, you understand why the Spirit inspired John to write this the way that he did. This Feast of Tabernacles was the climax of all the feasts. It was the climactic feast 
of the holiday season. They had a holiday season too, and this was the grand finale, the Feast of Tabernacles. Everything climaxed in this. And it was a prophecy pointing to the fact that Sunday would eventually be the Sabbath day, that Christ would rise from the dead. And Sunday and Sunday and Sunday and Sunday would continue forward as the Sabbath day. And so John, making this connection, as he writes the record of Jesus' resurrection and of the appearances, he points this out. Verse 19, John 20, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, He's pointing out it's the first day. It's the first Sunday. And then there's seven days in between. And then in verse 26, when he describes the events a week later, he doesn't say, and on the first day of the week again, but he says, on the eighth day, after eight days, he's pointing out this is the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. The first day and then the eighth day, Jesus is setting forth the Sunday Sabbath as fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And they saw it in Psalm 118, verse 24 too. And the verse that I used as the call to worship this morning. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. When I was a boy, growing up, we had a minister who used that as the call to worship every, well, not every, but most Lord's days in the morning. And I, w- I remember being so confused by this. Why does this say something about Sunday? This is the day that didn't God make Monday? Didn't he make Tuesday and Wednesday? Until I finally sat down and read the psalm, and then I understood Psalm 118 is all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Psalm 118, 22 through 24. The stone which the builders refused, that's the crucifixion, is become the headstone of the corner. That's the resurrection and ascension. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Resurrection day is being talked about there, especially as the day of worship, the day that we rejoice and be glad together in it. That's why that's a call to worship. It's speaking about this day as Sunday, the resurrection day, when we gather for worship and be glad and rejoice together. You see, beloved, if you pull back the curtain, all of this is what's lying behind that one word in Lord's Day 38. When speaking of Sunday, we confess that I especially on the Sabbath that is the day of rest. The keeping of the Lord's Day as the Christian Sabbath was an essential part of the witness of the apostolic church and of the early church, as you can imagine. Most of these people, not all, there are plenty of Gentile converts too, but most of these people were Jews who used to worship in the synagogue on Saturday. And they have family members and friends who are still worshiping in the synagogue on Saturday. And a key part of their witness is that they now went to worship on Sunday because He is risen. He is risen indeed. 
And he is still king, and the law still stands, but as king of the church, he has changed the day by the power of his resurrection that sets forth an entire new age for his people and looks to the coming of the fulfillment of all that he's promised utterly and fully. So that a large part of their witness as their family and friends were saying, come to the synagogue with us on Saturday like you used to. What are you doing? They would say, no. We're going to church on Sunday. He's alive. He's alive. And it's a key part of our witness too, beloved. Still today. We give witness to the resurrection in the midst of a world of unbelief about that resurrection by honoring this day and the Christ who changed the Sabbath day to Sunday by His resurrection. He's alive. And we confess it to all the world that He's alive. Some people and some events are so significant They need to be remembered with a day every year. Mother's Day. Mothers are so significant. They need to be remembered. Actually, it probably should be a Mother's Day once a month. They're so significant. But this person and this event is so significant. It must be remembered every week. Once a week an entire day, the Sabbath day, set aside for entering into the rest that he's gained in his resurrection, for worshiping him as the great king who's victorious over death, who gave us hope in the midst of a hopeless world and life. We give witness by worshiping on this day, that God's law still stands, that it is significant, that His law is not a suggestion to us in the midst of this world, but it's law in an age that disregards so much of His law, if not all of it. We stand up and say, all of it matters, and all of it is His command, and this is the way that life is to be lived. I'll remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's a witness that we are His covenant people, that we're unto Him, that there's a bond between Him and us. The keeping of the Sabbath day was always a sign of the fact that God's people were a covenant people. Exodus 31, 16 and 17. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. And so it still is a sign between God and His people today. It's a sign that we're His, that we belong to Him, that He belongs to us. And so we come apart together and enter into His presence, hear Him speak to us, fill us up with His Word so that we can go back and live as His people in the midst of this world. It's a sign that we're unto Him in all things. This is the day that the Lord hath made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Let us pray. Father, bless thy word to our hearts. Strengthen us in conviction and understanding, O God, 
and in the joy of what thou hast done. In our Savior's name we pray. Amen.